In one of my favorite stories from the Eastern Orthodox Church, a super-duper pious monk was transferred to a new monastery. And as he became more acquainted with his new context, he slowly began to realize that the vibe of this new place, that it was like way, way more laid back than the vibe at his last place. It was far less rigorous in its way of life. Rather than being relieved by this, this actually really concerned him because he felt like he had made great strides towards saintliness and holiness and spiritual perfection and all of that good stuff at his last monastery. But now, now he was starting to feel as though all of it might come unraveled, undone, because of the laxity of this new community. And because of this, anger towards his new brothers began to well up, bubble up within his heart. Why? Because he felt as though his way of life was being threatened by their way of life. Why weren't they taking the spiritual life as seriously as he was? Why weren't these new brothers as pious (laughs) as the former brothers at his previous monastery? Well, one day while he was at the liturgy of the Eucharist, Rather than praying, he decided to look up to see what the other brothers were doing. More specifically, he wanted to see what all of the other brothers were doing wrong (laughs) during the liturgy so that he could judge them. Wait, are we sure this guy wasn't an Episcopalian? (laughs) He would fit in in perfectly in some Episcopal circles that I have been around. But anyways, I digress. Eventually... This monk's scrutinizing glare landed upon another monk. It was a monk he had never seen before. And the pious monk became absolutely livid at the very sight of this guy. Why? Because rather than looking skinny and emaciated by a life of fasting and physical self-denial, this particular monk was a little bit more heavy set. He looked pudgy to the pious monk, right? How can somebody be a monk if they've not even been successful in battling gluttony? The pious monk asked himself. What kind of circus is this anyways, right? (laughs) They became furious. And just as the community was entering into a series of bows, something that's very traditional, you know, uh, in an Eastern monastic context, just as the community was entering into a series of bows during the service, this new monk's anger, it boiled over into rage. And he violently whispered under his breath, My God, what a fat monk. (laughs) At that very second, with that very breath, Mid-bow, he threw out his back. (laughs) And he was in so much pain that he had to, like, waddle out of the sanctuary, still hunkered over, still bowed over, right? And he had to go lie down (laughs) in his room for a few days. Now, all the while, of course, the monk that he had spent the entire service secretly condemning, he just kept on going. Like, he kept on praying, (laughs) completely oblivious to any of this pious monk's self-righteous indignation. Of course, the moral of this story is something that takes most of us a lifetime to learn, if we ever learn it at all. I think many people do not. 
And the lesson is this, that if someone makes me angry, my anger is my problem, not theirs. It's something that I must learn how to deal with. And the person who triggered my anger is not responsible for fixing my outrage, even if my anger against them is completely justified. At no point was this monk's anger ever justified, by the way, just so you know, in case you were wondering. Now, we all know this to be true, deep down, we really do, that we are the ones who are responsible for our anger issues, even if other people are the ones who trigger our anger. For even if the person who wronged me were to come to me and were to apologize, it does not automatically mean that I'm going to stop being angry at them. But the opposite could also be true, right? Even if they never utter the words, I'm sorry, I can still let go of my resentment and I can still forgive them. At the end of the day, it's not about what they do or what they don't do. Not to justify anything that's done, right? It's just, at the end of the day, when it comes to my anger, it's not about what they do or don't do. It's all about what I choose to do with my feelings in the moment. So anger is an internal issue, not an external issue. It's an issue of the heart, not of the world around us. But the problem is, is that most of us go through life acting as though our anger were a problem that were exterior to us. Like the self-righteous monk, we convince ourselves that the world around us is to be blamed for the lack of peace that we feel within ourselves. Well, if only the people around me would live like me and work like me and pray like me and talk like me and vote like me and think like me and look like me, well, then life would be peachy. And then, yeah, then I would be really happy. But life does not work this way, does it, friends? (laughs) But what do we do? We become angry because we let ourselves believe that the world is the greatest culprit, culprit for our lack of happiness. And because of this, we attempt to control our world in our own little ways, thinking that if we could somehow simply micromanage as much as possible that goes on around us, this will grant us the serenity and the joy that we feel like we are lacking. But as the great wisdom saying goes, the person who would regulate everything according to their own ideas is an insufferable ass. (laughs) That's one of my favorite wisdom sayings of all time. Uh, We become insufferable asses whenever we attempt to fix ourselves by trying to fix the perspectives and the habits of those around us. We cannot fix ourselves by fixing other people. And when the day finally arrives, when we realize that the world around us, that it just, it's going to refuse to live by the script that we have written for it, what do we do? We become all the more bitter and irritated. We start to feel like the world is out to sabotage us, out to get us. Little do we realize that we are the ones who are actually sabotaging ourselves. My friends, as long as we blame the people and the world around us for our lack of contentment. Anger will always be a very pervasive presence in our lives, perhaps the most pervasive presence. But to be very clear, 
this does not mean that we should never let ourselves feel anger. We will never heal it by repressing it. In St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he never says, well, come on now, y'all, <laughs> don't get angry. Just be happy, clappy for Jesus 24-7. <laughs> he never says that. No, he says, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. As far as it's up to you, don't carry your anger into the following day. Feel your anger and then learn how to let it go. Or as St. Thomas Aquinas says, this is absolutely brilliant, by the way. As Aquinas says, he says, be angry at the right people for the right reasons. Express your anger in the appropriate manner and for an appropriate length of time. Brilliant. So it really is okay to feel the full force of your anger. In fact, it's necessary that you do so. There are some people that you must sometimes be angry with. And there are some causes that should incite your fury, right? It's just part of being a human being in this world, right? You should be angry sometimes. Maybe angry a lot of times. But choose to put an expiration date on your rage. Treat your anger like you would the garbage. The longer you wait to take it out to the curb, the more your house is going to stink. So get rid of it, right? Now, most of us would say, great plan, Captain Obvious, <laughs> but how do we actually do that? It's easy to feel anger. Yeah, that check, I can do that simply, right? It's easy. But when it comes to letting it go, well, that's much easier said than done. How do we do, as St. Paul says, and put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrongdoing and slander and malice? Well, Paul gives us two keys here, two methods, I think. Just something, a couple of simple things to reflect upon. For one, he tells us that we need to get to a point where we stop talking about our anger all the time, where we stop slandering and gossiping against wrongdoers. <clears throat> because whenever we stop talking about it, we'll stop dwelling on it so much. I mean, that's half the battle right there. It's just to close our mouths sometimes, right? And the person who's constantly complaining about how they have been mistreated, they'll never find any healing. Again, put an expiration date on your complaining. Find somebody trustworthy to vent to, vent to them once, get it off your chest, get it out of your system, and just make the decision to drop it. Better yet, actually go and talk to the person that you are angry with. <laughs> Do that. Do what you can to speak the truth to them in love, as Paul says. And who knows? Like, who knows how things will play out? If you can see things from their perspective, hear their side of things, perhaps you'll realize that you had no reason to get upset to begin with, right? Or much less reason to get upset. And if at any point during the conversation with the person who has angered you, you feel like acting less than charitably towards them, just remember, just remember, my friend, that there are plenty of people that you have wronged in your lifetime as well. 
usually that has a way of shifting things back into perspective for us. Now, the second thing that Paul tells us to do is, this is, you know, it's under the surface of everything he says here. The second thing that Paul tells us to do with our anger is to channel it. Channel our anger. Paul doesn't want us to stop talking about our anger in order to repress it, in order to stuff it away somewhere. No, he wants us to stop droning on and on about it so that we can rechannel all of that emotional energy into something that's actually going to be useful and beneficial. And Paul says that we can do this by imitating God. Since God has forgiven us, who are we to withhold forgiveness from others? My friends, the best way to love those who have hurt us, who have angered us, is to pray for them daily, constantly. So rechannel all of that energy around your anger into prayer. Pray that God will bless the person who hurts you. Pray that that person would experience the full scope of God's love and grace. Pray that they would be truly happy and that their hearts would be full of joy. Pray for them in the same way that you would love to have other people praying for you. And even go so far as to thank God for them, to be grateful for them. For if you are wise, you will understand that those people who have hurt you, who have angered you, those who have been like enemies to you, it is they, it's they who have probably helped you more than anybody else in life. As one saint has prayed, just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an animal that's not being hunted, so have I, persecuted by my enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having hidden myself beneath your tabernacle, O Lord. A friend, a loved one, may edify us and encourage us and put our hearts at rest in their presence, but an enemy, an enemy will always drive us deeply into the arms of God. And an enemy is one of the most useful people on one's spiritual journey if the one doing the journeying knows how to respond to their presence wisely and with love. And if for nothing else, we should learn how to pray for and to love our enemies for our own well-being. For it's impossible to love God and to harbor anger against somebody else at the same time. As St. John has said, the person who claims to love God but who hates another person, <clears throat> they're a liar. And have you ever noticed <laughs> that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has taught us to pray in such a way where we are forced to acknowledge that God's forgiveness of us is conditional on our forgiveness of others. Forgive us our trespasses just as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, Father, forgive us with the same amount of forgiveness that we extend to others. Father, show us just as much grace as we show to others. In other words, Father, imitate us. 
in the way forgiveness happens. The way you see us forgiving others, forgive us. So my friends, to hold on to anger, it's the same thing as rejecting God. Whenever I dwell in my anger, I impair the Holy Spirit's capacity to dwell in me. As one modern activist and author has said, I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. So the question is, how much do you love God? Really? A reading from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians. Paul writes, Putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves they must give up stealing, Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and live in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for, up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.